Thomas. I'm Sparky. It's Friday night. I'm tired. You're tired, really? It was hot today at work. You know, it's so weird because today, while it was really hot outside, I spent most of the day freezing. Yeah, well, my building doesn't always have functioning air conditioning and I was running around a lot. That's what's so weird, though. The store I work at, I work in a cooler most of the time and I survived all winter not thinking it was cool in there at all. And now you think it's really cold. And today I was freezing. Weird. Maybe it's just because the difference is so drastic from outside. Could be. But anyway, hey. Hey. It's podcast time. It's Friday. It's 719. And you're tuned in to the podcast. The podcast. This is the only one. This is the only podcast in existence. Before we start, I want to say hi to my friend Crystal, who listens. Been my friend since, like, fifth grade. She's pretty awesome. Hi, Crystal. I don't know who you are, but hi. Oh, you would like her. Okay. She's pretty sweet. She does roller derby. That is actually pretty awesome. So, last week I talked about doing a story from my hometown, but I'm not going to do that because there's a lot of historical documents and things I want to look into, and I just haven't had time to dig deep for that yet. And so I was like, I'm going to find something that is more lighthearted. And so I picked a name off my list that every time I look at it, it makes me laugh. And you'll see why in a little bit, but... And it's the name itself that makes you laugh, correct? Not the name of the person, but the name of the murderer. Well, kind of his name. It's hard to explain. But it wasn't lighthearted at all. And I cried a little bit while doing research, so... Yeah. Now, you see, that's why I like doing aliens and monsters, mostly. Because, I mean, with aliens, they're just here to probe you. Then they go back home. Or monsters, they're just here on vacation. They're just chilling. They were on their way to Starbucks when you saw them. You interrupted their morning commute. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) I really want to just walk into Starbucks and see Mothman ordering coffee. What do you think you would like? I don't know. Probably espresso so he can stay up all night. Yeah, I think Sasquatch would be kind of a mocha frappe kind of person. I can see it. And then he would have, like, a, a coffee mustache on his fur. Totally. <laughs> totally. Anyway, okay. So, the murder I'm going to cover today is the murder of Christy Merrock in 1992. So, finally, a more recent one. 1992. That was a sad year. It was the year before you were born. And the world got better. Oh, my God. So before I start, here are my sources. One of the biggest ones I listened to was, or watched and listened to, was on ABC.com. It was like a 2020 special. Oh, 2020. Yeah. And then ABC News, an article. There was a YouTube that had a Christy Merrick special. LancasterPA.com. Lancaster Online, which is the local newspaper for the town that this happened in. The Independent. Medium. And... I only use this one for one small piece of information, but I'm going to list it anyway, just because I'm paranoid. 
that it's the Cinemaholic. But that one I don't know that I trust so much because at least one of the pieces of information they got was wrong. Cinemaholic? I'm guessing that's probably a, like, a cinephile kind of? Yeah. So was there a movie made about this? I don't think so. Mm, it's kind of weird that would be I know, that. that's what I thought, too. But, okay, so anyway, so the story takes place, this story, this real-life event happened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a popular place for destination weddings. There's a big Amish community there. And a lot of the, like, tourism pictures, you see people with, like, a horse and buggy. That's awesome. It is pretty awesome. I saw ads for hot air balloon tours. And there is an amusement park called Dutch Wonderland in the county, which kind of sounds awesome. But I also just love amusement parks, so. I do not. You're wrong. Overpriced food and rides that I'm convinced are meant to kill us. Yeah, but it's fun. So, it's a pretty small town-ish, I think. So, Christy Mirak was born in Shemokin, Pennsylvania in 1967. I definitely did not edit out saying 1977. No, you never would do that. Nope. Definitely not. It was a small mining town. She graduated from high school in 1985. That should have told me right there. I'm so dumb. <laughs> Maybe she was a genius. Remember, Doogie Hauser was like 15 and he was a doctor. <sighs> well, I'm not smart today. In 1985, from Our Lady of Lords Regional High School, and she went to college at Millersville University in Lancaster. And after she was done with her degree, she got a job teaching remedial reading, which is like trying to get kids up to grade level, basically. Okay. And then she taught sixth grade. Teaching was her passion, and she was loved by students and staff. There were quite a few accounts of people saying that she was their favorite teacher, things like that. She was really sweet. But apparently she was very private about her personal life, even to her family that she was really close to. She was notorious among her friends for taking a long time to get ready, which isn't me personally, but I can think of at least one friend immediately that comes to mind who would take like four hours every time we went somewhere to get ready. That's kind of funny. I mean, this morning I didn't want to get out of bed and I just kept hitting snooze. I got up, got dressed, and was out the door within ten minutes. Of course, I guess there is no stereotype about guys taking forever to get dressed. It's usually the guy waiting on the girl forever. Well, maybe your cat was waiting on you. You don't know. You don't know what she thinks. She's got a brain the size of a fleck of dust. No, why would she be wait oh, waiting for me to leave? Because yeah, she obviously. Yeah. Anyway, she would like to get up early. She kind of had a routine, and she would watch the morning news and make breakfast, get ready for work, probably put some makeup on. So, Sunday, December 20th, she was getting ready for the week. It was almost Christmas break, you know, for our students. So she was wrapping gifts for her students. She bought a book for each one of them, and they were going to be Christmas gifts for them. And then over break, she was going to visit her family in Shemokin, which was an hour and 44 minutes away. So then on Monday, December 24th, First, 1992, Christy didn't show up for her job at Roarstown Elementary School. It's spelled R-O-H-R-E-R-S-T-O-W-N. I'm not going to say it again, just so okay. you know. But anyway, so she didn't show up, which was strange because she was a really reliable person normally. Her principal called her home repeatedly and then eventually called her mother, Christy's mother, not the principal's mother. Principal didn't think to call their own mother. 
<laughs> right. No. So the principal called Christie's mother, and the mother gave him the address for her apartment. But I'm really curious why the school didn't have her address. Because I know every year when I start, we have to do like a emergency contacts update. Could she have moved and not had that information filed? It just seems really strange to me. It's not important to the case at all. The principal drove to the home and he found the door open, like cracked open. Never a good sign. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's always a really good sign. That's like the stereotypical movie, you know. Something's wrong. First thing you see is close up on the door and it's just like a crack open and you can just see a little bit. And then they push it up and it creaks open. Yep. So, again, the principal went to her house, he found the door cracked, and so he went into the house. He called the police at 9.22 a.m., and he said he only told the police what he saw that day, and he's never repeated it. However, the neighbors did report hearing him screaming, her face, her face, which is horrifying. Yeah, that sounds like something out of, like, a child's play movie. So, as you probably guessed, he found Christy dead on the floor, and she was raped and murdered between 7 and 7.45 in the morning. And there were gifts that she had wrapped for her students were, like, thrown all over the place. Like, she had had them in her arms. Hmm. Um, so, she was she was getting ready to go to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Early in the morning like that, that's kind of unusual. I mean, usually you want it at night. That time in the morning, that's when people are going to work. So, neighbors are gonna be awake. They're gonna be drinking their coffee. They're gonna be getting ready. They're gonna hear things, usually. Yeah, well, they did. They heard some... There's a couple eyewitness things, but and we'll get into that, but... Okay. I just meant the time frame in general just seemed very... It is really strange. Strange. But it just kind of breaks my heart. But but um, the police also found a footprint on the top of the door suggesting she was lifted. I'm not really sure. So there must... Obviously she was fighting. She had been strangled with her own sweater. But this is a detail that I'm kind of confused about. And this is not an important detail. It's just, like you said, she was getting ready to go. She had been stripped on her lower half of her body, but she was wearing coat and gloves still. So I'm wondering if she had the sweater like laying on the back of a chair or something. You know, some people have like a, a coat hanger by the door or something. Well, that's true. Could have just had that. like a, a sweater. Just like one of those things where the... A weapon of opportunity. Someone comes in and just mm-hmm. uses her own things. It's thought that she grabbed a wooden cutting board to defend herself and the killer grabbed it and used it against her. And then it was found right next to her body. So I don't know what he thought was going to happen, like, because it's really strange to not have, like, I'm curious what he had been, like, planning leading into this, you know? So this was obviously super horrible. I imagine that the guy that found her, her principal, probably had to go through some pretty serious therapy after that. I don't know why I didn't write his name down, but he also said that he would wake up screaming from nightmares for years after that. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, teaching is is not the most... I mean, kids get on your nerves, but it's not like the most traumatizing experience. Yeah, other than like school shootings and but things yeah, like, like that. Like when you think of like, like firefighters, paramedics, doctors, cops, they see all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. But like teaching is more relatively safe. Except in extreme circumstances. Yeah, especially in an elementary school. When you think of, like, school shooters, almost always it's middle school. It's middle or high school. Or high school. And yes, she taught sixth grade, but it was still an elementary school. I mean, in elementary school, the most graphic you're going to get is a kid hit another kid and his nose is bleeding. Or maybe a paper cut. Or they fall off the slide and break a bone and stick it out their leg. Not speaking from experience. No. So this was just horrific. And her cause of death was strangulation. She was severely beaten in the head and neck area, which 
explains him screaming in her face. She was sexually assaulted and they collected DNA from the scene. But in the 90s, they didn't have a whole lot they could do with it. Yeah, DNA was But I'm so happy that, like, people in the past had the foresight to be like, oh, we should probably save this. Yeah, that's one good thing. Think about how many crimes we've had that were committed in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the inconclusive. And we're going to get to that, too. It's going to be great. Oh, is this one of those where it didn't happen right away and then a few years later? Nice. Okay, so... I love when they think they got away with it and then it punches them in the face. Right? It breaks my heart. I feel so bad for her family because you look at pictures of her, she's just one of those people that, like... I know people say this about every, like, murder victim, but seriously, like, she has, like, the brightest smile and she's, like, stunning and, like, she just seems like somebody that everybody would absolutely love. But so, like I said... It was very severe. And a priest told them while they were preparing for the funeral that it would be best to not look at her face. Just to remember her the way she was. Funeral was closed casket. Makes sense. That's pretty... Obviously, you know, her whole family was heartbroken over this. Oh, yeah. So they're trying to, like, get the funeral done when they should be celebrating the holiday. And then apparently shortly after, doesn't say exactly when, but shortly after... This happened, I think it must have been within the week before Christmas break. I imagine that they would have been in school no later than the 23rd. And this was the 21st was Monday. But a man brought flowers to the school, said he was a friend of Christie's and he wanted to say hi. And the assistant district superintendent was filling in, turned the man away because he was like, this is really weird. This kind of seems like somebody like trying to return to not quite the scene of the crime, but going to like check in, you know, because the guy was like, much older than Christy, too, and he was like, what is going on here? The same man called the assistant district superintendent the next day at his own house, which is kind of strange. I mean, phone books were more of a thing back then, but still, like, that's really strange to call someone at home. Yeah, because, I mean, this was the pre-internet age. Yeah. And I went to, the, went to schools. I barely knew the principal's name, let alone the superintendent. Right. So, I mean, it's not like you just Google the school Oh, this is the superintendent. Now I'm going to look him up in the phone book. Well, I mean, he could have had a name tag, but, like, would you remember the exact spelling and everything? It's I barely just... remember what my name tag says. I know, right? Anyway, called him at his home and asked to use the counselors at the school, which, again, is really weird. Because the counselors at school are for the kids. Yeah, not... They're not... A lot of times they aren't even trained to work with adults. You know, I... like... They studied a specialty. But it, you no. just don't think of going into a school and asking, Hey, can I see your counselor? Like, in an elementary school. That is weird. He told the man, no, you cannot see the elementary school counselors, and that he was not welcome in the school. Later, they found out that this was Christy's secret boyfriend, and oh. he was married. And like I said earlier, she was very private about her personal life, so none of her family or friends knew about him. I imagine her roommate probably did. Wait, was he married to a co-worker? I don't know. His name, I don't think, was ever revealed. He was eliminated as a suspect because of an alibi that checked out, and they did a DNA test, which, you know, they had that availability. Like, I don't want you guys to think that we're like, oh, the 90s were ancient history, but it wasn't like today where you can send in your DNA to someone and they can be like, oh, here are all of your relatives you've never met, you know? Also, the principal was a suspect because he found her, Mm -hmm. but he was quickly eliminated because he also had an alibi. He was at school. People saw him there. So her roommate, Mary Lesko, had left at 7 o'clock to go to work. 
And Christy usually left at 7.15, just because, again, she was getting ready. And I had been curious about this, if the roommate maybe, like, left and just left the door unlocked, and that was how the killer got in. But apparently, and I don't know if you've ever seen doors like this, but when I was in college, the doors to the dorms were awful. And, and, and I mean, it's a good thing, but it was still awful if you forgot your keys in your room. Anytime they shut, they would lock. Mm-hmm. I've seen those. And so that's what her apartment door was like. So he would have had to pick the lock to get in or something. Did he know her? Because, I mean, that that's a common thing. Sometimes when you know someone, you don't expect anyone's going to try and kill you. You know, someone comes over, even just standing in the doorway, talking a little bit. You turn your back one minute, bam. Yeah, and that is something that her family also said about her, is that she was very vigilant about that. She had a people that she would always check to see who was coming into her apartment. She would not let anybody in if it was someone she didn't know. Like, even her brother, she would double check every time before he came in. That's smart. I read a couple places where Christy would like visit other friends and like scold them for not closing their windows and things like that ah. or like locking their windows she was like all about safety you know you know it just came to me do you think a lot of people that are inclined to commit these type of crimes they scope their victims so he knows the approximate time they both leave mm-hmm. waits for the roommate to leave and then as soon as she's gone just waits knowing that that door's locked probably because he's been creepy and tried it waits for her to open the door, and then forces her back. That's a good thought. I mean, that's probably honestly what happened. I hadn't considered that. But, yeah, it's pretty... Pretty gruesome either way. So the neighbors reported a mid-sized car parked in an overflow lot near her apartment, um, and they thought possibly it was a Dodge Daytona hatchback. And a man was seen walking from that car toward Christie's apartment a little after 7 that morning. So, in 2003, the local newspaper received a call from an anonymous source. Da, da, da. And he said he knew of a place at the back of the Mirac barn where Christy would take men. And he kept saying that they should do a report on, quote, women like that who lived double lives. And the reporter was like, what are you talking about? And he basically called her a slur, saying she was easy, but said that they didn't deserve to die, but they could expect it from being the way that they are. It's like, really? Nothing ever came of this phone call. They never identified who it was. They tried to trace it, but they couldn't because they didn't have the technology. And her brother Vince said there was no barn on the property. So Hmm. I'm not sure what this person thought they were getting at. So that was 10 years at least after her murder, and that was the only, like, hint of any kind they've had in that time, other than what I already told you, the evidence that they found at the scene. So for 26 years almost, the case was unsolved, which was longer than she was alive. She was 25 when she died. Oh, wow. And investigators and um, profilers said this likely was a man who liked to stay quiet and go unnoticed because they had no sign of him. They had no idea who it was. So they had no idea how they would find him. So I believe it was 2018 when they caught Golden State Killer. Sounds Um, about right. So her brother Vince heard about the Golden State Killer and how they found him using DNA uploaded to a genealogy website. And he thought, why can't they do that for Christy? And he contacted... This part's kind of fuzzy i'm not sure how exactly the chain of communication worked but the lancaster district police submitted the dna to parabon nanotechnology labs they narrowed it down 
narrowed down like the people that it could have been using DNA websites, which was pretty much almost brand new technology mm-hmm. at the time. Only a few years old at the least. Oh, yeah. They used a website called GEDmatch, which is a site like Ancestry.com or 23andMe, but it's public, so anyone can use it. But they do put a, a disclosure on the website that says it may be used to solve crime, whatever they submit. So people know what they're doing. Like, and if you have nothing to hide, that's yeah. fine, but... It's always kind of been my fear, because I've always wanted to do, like, the 23andMe. Because mm-hmm. it not only tells you, like, where you're from, mm-hmm. but it can also see if, like, you have any type of genetic markers that makes you more susceptible to certain illnesses. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of been afraid that, like, someone close in my family who we share DNA... Is actually like a secret killer who's been on the loose. You don't want them to find out that you were the reason they got caught? Well, if they've been killing people secretly and then they find out I'm the reason they got caught, they may switch up their MO for me, okay? I don't want that. So this was kind of their last hope for the case. They had no other leads beyond this. So I kind of didn't totally understand all the stuff they were saying because it was... Sciencey stuff is really interesting to me, but it's not my forte. You know, but I thought this was really interesting. And if I learned more about it, if I could just, you know, have another career for fun or whatever, Mm -hmm. because this is fun to me, I guess, I thought it would be really interesting. But after a few months after the submission, they released a composite to the public and they still didn't really have anybody they could recognize off of it. One of the people that was also working on the case with the Paragon Lab people was a former actress named Cece Moore. She usually used genealogy to reconnect adopted kids with their biological parents, which I thought was really cool. But according to Wikipedia, if they were listed in chronological order, which I'm not sure if they were, this was only the second criminal case she did. Cece Moore learned the killer's genetics were from Northern Europe and Puerto Rico. And it was actually pretty cool how she was describing how she used articles online to figure out kind of who it could be because it had been kind of narrowed down to a family in Lancaster. And she found an article online in which the man talked about being half Puerto Rican. And this only took her a couple of days, like after years of not having any leads In a couple of days, she was able to find the number one suspect. And it took her a little bit longer than she thought it should have because he apparently had his mother's last name, not his father's, which I thought Uh. was interesting. And, but regardless, the police needed to be able to check this other person's DNA to make sure it was the right guy. And the person was the local DJ named DJ Freeze. No. Which is the reason I picked this story because it's ridiculous. I was just going to ask, was his father like a mad scientist whose wife was cryogenically frozen until he could find a cure for the disease, but he ends up like mutating into Mr. Freeze? No, he just thinks he's really cool. So DJ Freeze was performing at a local elementary school, which is like, oh great, you're back Scoping there. Scoping out another victim, huh? I don't know, but undercover officers watched him and they were trying to figure out a way they could collect some of his dna he discarded a kirkland water bottle hey costco and some chewed gum and they took it and they analyzed the dna and it matched so the moral is if you've committed a crime swallow that gum Ew. you don't need an appendix <laughs> or just you know don't commit crimes how's that sound yeah as much as people say it 
There's always going to be that one person that says, well, you say I can't commit a crime? Watch this. Crime rate's down. Hold my beer. It's sad, but it is reality. So this was in June 2018. They discovered the identity and matched the DNA that they found on the carpet. And the man's name was Raymond Rowe. He was caught because his half-sister, who apparently he didn't even know, submitted her DNA to a genealogy website. And he lived only a few miles away from where the murder took place. And he had been hiding in plain sight this whole time. So some information on him... I didn't want to give too much background because he's the killer and I don't want to glorify him. But he had kind of gotten some fame as a break dancer before becoming a DJ. Your face right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. While a really skilled break dancer can make it look cool, the majority of it is just boy band hilarity. I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's funny that imagining like a break dancer being a big deal in a small rural community. He was probably the guy that, you know, would break down a cardboard box on the corner of a street and spin on his head. I don't know. But anyway, he was also the house DJ for the Chameleon Club, which was like one of the few nightclubs. I don't know if there's more than that. But he was house DJ, so he was there most of the time. And he claims to have DJed for other celebrities, such as Paris Hilton. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't care if you're facing, you know, you're like minutes away from being executed for the worst crime you can imagine you really want to admit you worked with paris hilton yeah that's hot (laughs) (laughs) anyway and apparently he was like a super popular wedding dj like people would literally plan the date of their wedding around him i know you know right now i'm thinking of the skinny kid from the rocker that auditions to be the drums you know, he's got the, the headphones in one ear and he's just playing that drum loop. And then Dwight comes and verbally abuses him. Anyway, at some point, apparently when he was a child, his mom like sent him away to live with another family because he was difficult. And he was like a thief and had a lot of behavior issues. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. So according to the district attorney, Craig Stedman, the other evidence also helped solidify this connection they thought it was a daytona hatchback the car was actually a white toyota celica which it's i googled the time of the two they're very similar in appearance like for someone like me that doesn't really know cars that well it's similar to what car a daytona hatchback and a toyota celica okay they're very similar daytona hatchback yeah um he also had a speeding ticket saying that he drove a white toyota coupe so Kind of all ties together. A ticket for the Chameleon Club was also found in Christie's wallet. So it's thought that they might have met there. She maybe, because she was a very social person, went to the club to hang out with some friends. He saw her there, followed her home, made a plan. But that's just speculation. I don't know for sure. He worked down the street from her apartment at the time of the murder. I think it was like a shipping company or something. But an article in the Lancaster newspaper by Jeff Hawks and Lindsay Blessed quoted the district attorney, saying the commute would have taken him past her home hundreds of times, perhaps when Mirak and her roommate were sunbathing. So he may have seen them outside and decided that he wanted to kill her or whatever. I'm, you know, that kind of comment makes me wonder if he had only planned planned to assault her and the murder was... Yeah, I've wondered that because how many times do we have people admitting to crimes and they're like, well, I, I didn't intend to kill her yeah you know i was just gonna do this and it got out of control and apparently to go along with that there had been peeping tom reports near her apartment in the months before the murder do you get any shivers yet 
He kind of had troubled past, as I told you, with the, his mom basically giving him away. Uh, he was married for the first time at 19, and then while he was married to her, he met another woman who he then became involved with, and he, you know, proposed to her, they were engaged, whatever, during the time that he killed Christy. And so he's married to one, involved with another, and kills another. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Sounds like a stand-up guy. Right. Her name was Monica. I have no idea how to say one of her last names, but the other one's Waylon. She was a nurse at the time, and she said that day was like any other. Like, they just, they both went to work, and they, at the end of the day, had dinner together. Like, there was nothing off about that day. And he apparently was never abusive to her. When they divorced, because they got married, I think, in 93, she wanted to work it out, but he was the one that refused. So... Hmm. When she heard the news, she threw up. But she's now married happily to someone else, and she has three kids. So his third wife, then, Emily Noble, well, actually, I don't know that he married her, but he dated Emily Noble in 1996, so he was still married to his second wife at this time. And they showed pictures in the 2020. She looked really similar to Mira, so I'm wondering if that was... Interesting. Yeah. But he was really controlling with her and emotionally abusive, and he would refuse to let her be seen if... He didn't like what she was wearing, basically. Like, they went out to dinner once, and she was wearing socks with sandals. Which, I mean, yeah, Yeah, nobody nobody likes that. But still, you're not going to make somebody go sit in the car for an entire dinner because you don't like that they're wearing socks and sandals. You're not going to be sitting looking under the table the entire time. I'm not going to lie. All the, like, rich kids in my school, the popular kids, all of them. Gross. Yeah. I feel like the popular kids at my school were, like, super into fashion and would never do that. I'm from Nebraska. (laughs) Right. And I don't think corn is fashionable. So she just wanted to get away from him and eventually moved across the country, I think, to New Mexico, she said. And they interviewed her on the ABC 2020. And she said when she heard that he killed this woman, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. So that kind of tells you what kind of person he was, too. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing, like, when Iceman (laughs) was arrested and his entire family were in total shock Mm -hmm. that he'd violently butchered all these people. And then when the family's like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, what can you really do when it's just not just abuse? But when he's abusing you emotionally, a lot of times police departments don't even take physical abuse really seriously. So how are you going to report emotional abuse, you know? Yeah. So really, what can you do other than nowadays you can post on social media, hey, stay away from this person. But then, really, nothing. Yeah. Not even MySpace was a thing then. That was my jam. Anyway. I did not like MySpace. Well, you're wrong, so. Um, also, in August of 1992, so before he killed Christy, he held a Stop the Violence rally at the Chameleon Club. I'm going to host a Stop the Violence Club, and now if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go brutally murder someone. I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. What? I know. Like, he's oh. just a hypocrite, and I hate him. I hate so, people, like... Yeah. I was telling you about his girlfriends, and I'm telling you about his other weird things in the past. Apparently, once in 2006, a police officer raided a club where he was working, looking for underage drinking, and Roe resisted arrest and was disorderly. So, this kind of also, you know, goes along with his DJ personality in that he's not a quiet person, so the profile was entirely wrong. Which normally, when you hear in cases, the profile, like when they do an FBI profile, it's super accurate, like creepily accurate. But this one was wrong. So, according to his attorney, he admitted guilt from the start, and he said something like, he always believed that taking this plea, a plea deal, was the right thing to do. But if that's what he always believed, 
Why did he wait until he was found to admit to it? I think he probably thought he committed the perfect crime and would never get caught. Probably. But it was probably always in the back of his head, what if? You think about that. Like, like some of the pictures they show of him in, like, the specials and stuff, he just looks like he's living his best life. Like, not a care in the world. Also, Stedman, the district attorney, said that when he was first arrested, he denied knowledge of the case. So, obviously, he didn't always believe that admitting guilt was the right thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, your face. Again, you look like... (laughs) He's in prison, right? I hope he has a special friend they call Tiny, but is actually, like, eight feet tall. It was also just laughable since he lived in Lancaster this whole time. Lancaster. And there was literally a giant billboard with her face on it that was up the whole time. Like, do you know who killed me? Basically. So he would see it at least, you know, even if he didn't drive by it every day, he'd probably see it semi-frequently, you know. So he pled guilty to rape, strangling, and killing Chrissy Mira. In court, he addressed her brother, Vince, and said, I'm sorry, sir, to your family. I can't imagine what you're going through. I apologize. Like, don't apologize if you're just going to be so insincere. But in January 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole for first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to an additional 60 to 120 years for his other crimes. Rape and um, breaking and entering, whatever. He avoided the death penalty through the plea deal I mentioned earlier, and he is currently serving in state correctional institution in Waymart, Pennsylvania. So, mentioned earlier, Cecilia Moore has gone on to have a successful career. Wikipedia has literally dozens of cases that she's helped solve, which I think is awesome. That is cool. And she has a new television show that literally came out last month, and it's called Genetic Detective, where (laughs) it talks about cases she's helped solve. They haven't covered this one yet, as far as I could tell. Hopefully soon, because I think that would be really cool to watch. And also, this case has led to breaks in other cases. There were some all across the country, you know, that, oh, well, they did that, and they called the Golden State Killer. We could probably do something like that too and i don't want to talk about them because i might cover them at some point or maybe you will i don't know but the most frustrating thing to me about this case roe never admitted why he killed christy or even how he knew her or chose her yes i'm really hoping he has a friend named tiny Uh, can't you just tell them it was just random or just tell them that something instead of just refusing to talk about it they deserve that after all this you've put them through at least tell them why you did it do you think he was the anonymous caller? I don't really know. It's possible, like, and he was trying to throw them off or something. I just, I don't know. He just really frustrates me and I want to punch him in the face. I mean, it was uh, the Zodiac killer. Remember Zodiac? He... Zodiac. Did he really say Zodiac? I've heard it both ways. I heard it. On documentaries, Zodiac. podcasts, even the movie Zodiac. What were you saying? Wasn't he the one that would call and, like, just, like, leave creepy messages to the cops? I think so. I don't remember for sure. Anyway, so this is how I kind of want to wrap it up. So her brother Vince told Roe during the hearing, these are a couple different quotes that I took from Medium, The Independent, and Lancaster Online. He said, I've searched for who could do such a horrific thing. Who could do something so heinous to another person and walk away with no regret? Now I know who. If not for the grace of modern technology and divine intervention, you probably would have stayed in Lancaster and basked in your fame. He said the killing destroyed his family's sense of security and their love of the festive season. Quote, but most of all, you took our Christy. I spent 25 years watching my family plead for answers. I made a promise to my mom before she passed away to never let this go. And he then spoke of her kindness, her passion for teaching, and how much she worked to prepare for her career. 
and he said, you took it away with no regard. I can only hope the remainder of your life is as painful to you as the last 26 years have been without her to my family. I feel really bad that they didn't let him punch him. I know. Because after all that, my my response would be way more than punching. Honestly, if anyone hurt my siblings. Even as much as you want to kill them. As much as I want to just throw them to the ground and smother them with a pillow. And literally fart in their face. And literally fart in their face. He literally does that. I've seen him do it. I've tortured my sisters horribly throughout their lives. But my family's Irish. You know, we fight like crazy. But if someone from outside picks a fight, it's on. So that's pretty much the case. But I did want to say that I do think it's interesting. And I'm not saying that the judge was wrong because I don't think he was in his sentence. I do think it's really interesting that a case like this in rural Pennsylvania can get a a life sentence, almost a death sentence, plus an additional at least one life sentence with 120 years, you know. But if this happened in, like, New York City, I imagine, you know, maybe, like, I'm I'm not dissing New York City again. No, I mean, really, they have their high population. They can only have so many people. Any high population place. I don't know, like, and I'm not an expert, so this is just me talking out of my butt, but, like, it just seems kind of inconsistent, you know what I mean? Like, across the board, like, for example, Brock Turner, one of the worst people on the face of the planet, got, like, what, three months for raping that girl when it was literally witnessed, and people have spent more time in prison for attempted rape, but he was witnessed doing it, and he only got a few months. I'll keep in mind different states have different laws, different... Oh, it just bothers me. It does. Certain things like that, I think it should be across the board. Yeah. Like you said... I don't know, but this was really hard for me as an elementary school teacher and as someone who I have two all-time favorite teachers and they meant so much to me and like they like made such a positive impact in my life. I can't imagine midway through the school year losing a teacher that I loved. And I mean, you know, in your years of teaching, you have seen what happens to kids when they lose a classmate. Mm-hmm. And it's awful. And it, it, it's someone that they're close to, but it's someone who's, you know, they're equal. Yeah. When it's, you know, the authority figure that kids, they look to as a protector, you know. I've also had kids that have lost their parents while they were in my class. And it destroys them. They, like, especially when it's not something that was expected. Like, if a parent is sick, you know, you kind of know that it's coming for a while. And mm-hmm. it's still awful and it's still impossibly hard on the kids. But it's even harder when they're taken away from them by murder or suicide, I think, because it's not something you expect. But anyway, I don't know. It just, this case really just hurt my heart, and I am so sorry to Christy's family that they've had to put up with this for so long, and that this guy was such a jerk and just a garbage human. But they do have the closure knowing that this guy has been caught, he's in jail. That's true, but they never get her back. They never get her back, but... But there's always the possibility that what he did to her is happening to him in the big house. Yeah, that's the story of Christy Merrick. That guy is a disgrace to DJs. Yeah. I hope he never, ever let the bass drop. I don't know how many references to Lonely Island you've got in this episode. Um, but that's pretty much all Thomas has listened to lately. And I'm, I would like to apologize. I don't want anyone to get offended when I am really sad or disturbed about something. I make bad jokes at bad times. And right now, with the things going on, um, I read the story of Elijah McClain today. And Who's that? He was a kid who had social anxiety, and he was a little 
different. And he was wearing a ski mask and dancing on his way home from the store. And the neighbors called the cops on him and he died from it. And as he died, he was telling them that he loved them and he was sorry and he was just different. They wouldn't even let him get his ID out, anything. And that kind of hit a nerve with me because few people know that I'm autistic. But I'll go ahead and say it. So anyone who's a little different and is begging for their life and saying, I'm just different. I love you. I'm sorry. It hit a nerve and it's made me really sad. And I've made really awkward jokes because of it. Because I'm trying to take my mind off of the dark places it's going to. The world is a very dark place right now, unfortunately. It amazes me, though, that in a nation where the dominant religion is a form of Christianity, the one thing that Christianity teaches the most, and one of the commandments that Jesus gave, was to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. So to claim that you are of this religion and you believe this way, and then hate someone, hate your neighbor, just because there's no excuse for that. Oh, and that was another thing I forgot to write down, actually. Raymond Rowe found Jesus in recent years. But apparently it wasn't enough to, you know, admit to killing her. But he professed his Christianity. So so this episode was kind of a bummer. It was kind of a bummer. But I think it's a good story to tell because I think, you know, I love that her family, even after decades, were trying to find ways to solve this crime. And they were able to. And, and really, you know, stories like this need to be told. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, there could be a hometown murder. You know, I mean, my hometown has a few, but there could be one that had similar circumstances that could make someone say, hey, maybe we could do what they did. Maybe Mm -hmm. we could find the person. No. No, next week's story is going to be not as dark. I'm going to do a... It's kind of hard because this figure I'm going to be talking about has been listed as encrypted ufo connections to the men in black as well as the mothman so that's all i'm gonna say i'm not gonna reveal the entity's name if you have guesses please let me know that was how i found out that crystal listens she texted me and said is this what you're gonna cover and i was like yeah but not right now but yeah if you think you know please tell us want to update really quick anchor duff we're at 10 countries now crazy that is crazy 19 states did you count that right Oh, I didn't count. Uh, So, 18 or 19 states. We were at 16 last time, so cool. Yeah, we're we're expanding. We're almost halfway to every state in the U.S. And we've got at least one listener in every age group. Woo! But mostly the 28 to 34, so our listeners aren't even in my age group. They're mostly in mine because we're obviously really cool and smart adults and stuff. Um, Also, we've got at least one new review. We do. We've got two. Yes, we have multiple new ones. I am going to let you read Okay. both of these. I know who both of these people are, so thank you. I love you both dearly. So the first one is from Jay Williams. It says, I recommend this podcast. Great concept, funny commentary, and good quality. Listen to a few episodes, and I'm already a fan and can't wait to finish. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. And I will tell you how much I appreciate you again the next time I see you. The other one is from Bruce Payne, and I know exactly who this is, and I love it so much. Great podcast. Hi, Sparky. Love the way you two converse together, and I love the content. I've had so much fun listening to this podcast. Very creepy stuff. Thank you so much. We really enjoy doing it. It has been something that has been something we both look forward to, I think. Oh, so. yeah. We, you know, in the beginning, 
we we talked about doing a podcast probably for a year at least for a year if not more and you know in the beginning you don't really think about listenership so much you just think of what would i talk about what would i do it's gonna be really awkward how are we gonna fill a half hour at the 120 minute mark and now we're actually seeing it grow so thank you whatever you're doing keep doing it yeah everything appreciate it definitely please Continue to tell your friends. If you haven't already, please leave us a review. That way you can get that bonus episode that Sparky's going to do. Mm-hmm. That you get to choose. Mm-hmm. But you have to be in the Facebook group to choose. Mm-hmm. No burping. I am sorry, Sparky. I'm sorry, Sparky. Okay, well, I think that's all we have for this week. <laughs> but, yes, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Yes, we definitely And I was you. really happy that my friend Crystal messaged me so I could find out about another creeper we have. I'm calling everyone Creepers, whether or not you like it. That's their new name. Well, it is the Creepy Life Podcast, so it makes sense that our followers would be called Creepers. If you guys hate it, let me know. But if you hate it, you need to give me a better name. I'm pretty sure that one of our listeners from Columbia, Missouri, is a Creeper. You mm. know who you are. That your wouldn't face. be your... <laughs> it wouldn't be your cousin, would it? I'm not saying who it is. I'm here like, oh, I'm going to call out every single one of my friends that listens. And you're like, I'm not going to say anybody's name. <laughs> No, I, I, I want him to listen, and then I want him to wonder if I'm talking about him or someone else. Because I will say we do have multiple listeners from that area. Well, thank you again. Yep, thanks for listening, guys. Stay creepy. Stay creepy.